Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you are struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. And then when he got done, he just laid on me. And so I kind of gently pulled him off of me and I ran up them steps. When I ran up the steps, he caught me by the shirt I asked to keep on. And that's what I mean by it. That shirt kind of hindered me too. Cause maybe if I allowed him to snatch that off too, he may couldn't have got a hold of me. So he grabbed me by my shirt and pulled me down some steps. So now we halfway, halfway in the middle of this step, stairway. I'm fighting for my life. Hi, survivors. I'm Taryn Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Yay, another episode. Another episode we've had in the can for a while. Oh, yeah. No, we met Denise a while back through Rita Isabel. She was a past guest on our podcast, yeah. and she's a survivor. Ironically, they're both from Milwaukee. They both have dealt with two of Milwaukee's most famous serial killers, unfortunately. But before we get into that, it's been quite a week. Oh, yeah. No, I house sat. I watched a dog, some cats. I had Marisol for a little bit. Get Marisol so I could film my, my uh, pilot <laughs> that I was filming. Yeah. I took some videos for Patreon as well. Put that on there. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, you know, for those of you that follow, Marisol is my little chihuahua. She will be a year old on this Saturday, 11-11. And since Tara had her, she has learned to not bark as much. <laughs> <laughs> People call me the dog whisperer. She has definitely toned down her barking because she's quite sassy with me, isn't she? Oh my gosh. She just has you wrapped around her little paw. Oh yeah. Clearly. I mean, she has her own t-shirts and merchandise. Like, Well, when I come over, she's always barking at you. And I'm like, are you going to tell her like, no, are you going to, are you going to tell her no? This is why I don't have children because they would be nightmares. They would be like, I would just, <laughs> yeah. I would so be, we know who's the strict parent. Yeah, for hundred percent. Come on. I'm like, no, don't do that. It's the worst. It's... <laughs> Blondie was so good because she wouldn't ever bark, but she she would never bark at me, but she would bark at like other doggies or like the door or something like that. But um, yeah, Marisol can be quite sassy, but her sassiness has been curtailed. <laughs> That's great. Because you told me, you said, rattle the cage if she gets, if she starts getting sassy with you and I do that. And she like looks at me like she's terrified. She's like, oh, what's he going to do? So Well, and then when you rattle the cage, it's just like you... It's not that. Yeah, it's not that dramatic. Yeah, it's not like an earthquake. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just, you just just shake it a little bit, and she's like, "Oh, okay, I better behave." Yeah, she's been great because for a few weeks, even though I would be in the dead of my slumber, I would, she would just, just bark in the middle of the night like an obnoxious little chihuahua. You just got to use the pennies in a can, you know? The pennies in uh -huh. a can have worked. Have worked. So we have a guest that came to us from our previous guest Rita Isabel and she's also from Milwaukee and I and they both have dealt with Milwaukee's two most famous serial killers right yes so let me tell you a little bit about Denise if you don't know Collier yes so 
Denise escaped the serial killer known as the Milwaukee Strangler. Like the victims before and after her, she felt unheard and disregarded by law enforcement. Often treated as if she was invisible and her credibility was doubted, she has shared her real-life experiences, including struggles with addiction, to offer encouragement and hope that healing and growth are possible, even after difficult experiences. Yeah, she really gets very candid in her addiction through this episode. She turned her life around. She's really courageous, but she got away and she's going to tell us this story. So, you know, as as I had said before, we had Rita Isabel on before her, her brother was a victim. Her brother Earl Lindsay was a victim of Jeffrey Dahmer. And we discussed that impact on her life. And obviously Denise got away from Walter Earl Ellis, who was known as the Milwaukee Northside Strangler. And he was an American serial killer. And he was wreaking havoc and terror. He killed, he strangled at least seven women between 1986 and 2007. He is also suspecting of killing at least eight more women over 21 years in Milwaukee. So a bad guy, she got away and she's going to tell us her survivor story. And it's pretty incredible. So following his arrest, Ellis was charged with the murders of seven women, 31-year-old Deborah Harris, 19-year-old Tanya L. Miller, 25-year-old Irene Smith, 28-year-old Florence McCormick, 37-year-old Sheila Ferrier, 41-year-old Joyce Ann Mims, and 28-year-old Owethron C. Stokes. We want to pay our respects to them. He was also a suspect in at least eight other murders and strangulations in a, over a 21-year period. So let's get into our episode with Denise Winters. Yes, let's get into it. So why don't you start telling us a little bit about who you are and why you're a survivor? Okay. Um, well, I'm Denise Winters. Um, uh, 30 some years ago, um, I end up uh, struggling with drugs and I end up, uh, I had enablers where I wouldn't have to go to the street. But then after my enablers all left, I end up going to the street. So I end up prostituting for my drugs. I got to know some of the girls that was out there, the regular ones. I, I knew one real good because she had moved in with one of the older guys that I had moved in with. And when I wanted to sober up, I left him and she moved in. Just to make it clear about the women, I knew Deborah Harris. The other ones I smoked with, but we didn't talk on a personal level. Okay, so uh, one day, it was around about the first of the month. I didn't have an income, but a couple of my family members had incomes. I was staying with my sister on 12th and Burleigh. And every first of the month through the first to the fifth, I would go on 23rd and Brown, which a lot of us would gather up family members, friends, and friends of friends down my auntie basement, and we would get high. We would have shooters, smokers, speedballers. 
I was headed there on the first of the month. I went ahead of my sister. Uh, she usually pay, pay her bills, her, her and her guy. And I would go ahead of them because I didn't want to wait. So that day I went ahead of them as usual and I was walking and I walked uh, down. I mean, I walked down chambers that I could, you know, do my regular shortcut through um through the playground and I end up on well, I end up on chambers. And then I end up on when I went to the corner, I end up on Titonia. And I seen this guy. He had a cream shirt on, long sleeves, and he was walking back and forth. But I, you know, I really wasn't paying it that much attention to him until he just kept walking back and forth. And when I got, you know, exactly across from him, he was across the street from me. He, when I exactly, when we met, you know, across from each other, he said, hey, hey. And I said, you know, yeah. And he said, do you get high? And then I said, why? And then he said, because I want somebody to get high with. And then my mind was saying, well, you going over here to your auntie's house, you know, hassle free. And what I mean by hassle free, I don't have to worry about nobody trying to ask me for anything or nothing. And so I said, you know, well, maybe I should keep going. And then my other mind that didn't, didn't couldn't wait. Yeah, the attic and, brain. Yes. Oh, yeah. Let's go get high. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'm, uh, it, let's, let me do it right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that part. And uh, let me do that right now, and then I can you know, get out right now, and then I can be on my way. Anyway, uh, so excuse me for because I'm finna get dive into this and it's still emotional. Um, I understand. So um, okay. So I said okay, and he. Um, said, uh, so I followed him, right? So he took me back, you know, from where I came from, and he said, he started going up these steps, right? And I said, I looked and I noticed that this was an abandoned house. I said, no, no, that's okay. And then I said, and he said, what's wrong? I said, I don't want to go in that house, right? So he took me to another abandoned house. And it was hot that, you know, how kind of hot that day and early in the morning. I said, and he took me to another abandoned house and I said, no. And I didn't tell him I don't go in abandoned houses. And so then he tried to take me to that third house. And I just told him, I said, you know what? Look, I don't go in abandoned houses. I, I don't do that. I have to get high around people because I get paranoid, real yeah. paranoid. So he said, he started, his, his lips started trembling, his top lip. And so I'm looking like, and my mind was saying, you know, it looked like he getting mad at me. You know, at the time, I didn't realize there was a, a red flag. At the time, I realized, you know, that was a red flag. Um, he was getting pissed off, but I said to myself, so I try to ease the tension. So I said, you look like you work. Where you work at? You know, try to ease the tension. And it worked because he stopped, his lips stopped trembling. I was, he said he was a shell and he, and plus he sell dope. So then my mind said, light bulb hit, said, uh oh, he's a dope dealer. I'm going to get to smoke all day, you know? And I believe that's how he captured the women when he said he was a dope dealer. And um, I'm figuring, oh, he got plenty, you know? So, yeah. okay. Um, so he said, I got a place. 
And uh, he wanted to hold on to me. I didn't realize that he wanted to hold on to me because I had worked him. I had we had went to three places and I wouldn't go. So he really wanted to get me. And uh, and so he took me to this old lady and old man house uh, on 17th and Locust. And when he went in, he he went ahead of me. And when I was behind him, I could tell the old lady and old man didn't want me in their house. You know how you could tell me yeah. you get to somebody's house and yeah. they looking at you mean, mugging you like, what yeah. is she doing here? You know, so I saw that look and it was a heavy set woman and she had her one of her legs you know, bandage up in one of those, like, you know, those elastic things. Yeah. Those round elastic things. Then the older guy, he was a small built guy and he had a cane and they were sitting across from each other. And uh, I could tell they didn't want me there. So he went right past them, didn't say anything. Hey, I got company, nothing, none of that. So when I saw the look, I said, oh, they don't want me in here. So I spoke to him. I said, hello. You know, I didn't get a response back. You know, they was mad and they didn't look. They just looked at me, didn't say anything. And then I said, and then I'm thinking I'm going to the kitchen because he, he keeps going on through this little hallway like. And he opens up this door before he gets to the kitchen. And then I said, oh, we going down a basement or something. And then I said, is there a light down there? He said, yes. And then I told, he wanted me to go ahead first. And I said, no, you go ahead. And he went first and uh, going down there, I didn't see any light. And he held my hand, you know, going down there. And then I started, after I got halfway down there, I seen a light. It was a light from the candle. It wasn't lights down there, or he didn't have them on. When I got down there, he had candles and three crates, and uh, and he had a, this pipe and stuff in the middle crate. And he told me to have a seat. And uh, when I sat down, I got this weird, like, wind. It was like an evil presence. It, it shook me. It was like something evil is just like, it was just swirling around me. Yeah. So now I'm spooked. So I'm watching him. And then he put some, uh, uh, a big bo- uh, crack, a piece of crack rock on the pipe. I said, is that all you got? He's no, I sell dope. I got more. But my other mind was telling me, don't touch this stuff because something's not right. And I'm feeling this evil presence. And so I thought he was going to hand it to me when he put the big boulder on there. He didn't. He he hit it himself. So I'm looking at him like, okay. So then he handed it to me and he didn't put anything on there. So I said, and everybody, anybody that smokes, Know your first hit is the hit. Anything else you're chasing a ghost. Anything else we, we're trying to catch up to, that first hit. If you mess that up, you messed up your uh, everything for that day. So he tried to hand it to me. And um, 
without putting anything on it. He said, it's in there. I said, no, put you going to put some. He said, it's in there. It's in there. And he was like forcing it on me. So what I did was I took it and I played, like I said, and I really didn't, you know, pull off of it. And then I got up and I said, I'm ready to go. And then he grabbed me. He said, B, take your damn darn clothes clothes off. I don't know if I'm supposed to cuss on here. Oh, Oh, you're fine. Speak however you like. Okay. Okay. He said, bitch, take your clothes off. Now I'm shook because I already felt that easy uh, uh, evil presence. And then he, and I wasn't taking them off fast enough. So he started pull, he started pulling my pants down. He pulled pulled pull my sandals off and pulling my panties down. And he was gonna take my shirt off. And I said, please, it's cold down here. Let me keep my shirt on. I had this shirt. I'm a small built woman. I always have been. I have a small woman complex. I always I I had um I always been small breasted when I was younger, and you know, everything just n- not developed like the other girls. And so I asked him, can I keep my shirt on? And um, it, it, Bobby keeping my shirt on kind of hindered me in the end too, but he allowed me to keep my shirt on and he raped me. He raped me. And then he, he kept his hands on my neck while he was raping me. Sometimes he would squeeze hard, sometimes not. And then when he got done, he just laid on me. And so I kind of gently pulled him off of me and I ran up them steps. When I ran up the steps, he caught me by the shirt I asked to keep on. And that's what I mean by it. That shirt kind of hindered me too, because maybe if I allowed him to snatch that off too, he may couldn't have got a hold of me. So he grabbed me by my shirt and pulled me down some steps. So now we halfway, halfway in the middle of this step, stairway. I'm fighting for my life. And then he, um, I didn't know he was going to kill me at the time, though. So I'm fighting with him. He fighting with me. And then um, he gets his, he gets, get him, he gets a hold of my neck. And then he puts me against the wall and I'm fighting him and I'm fighting him. And then I'm starting to lose. I'm starting to get weak. I can't breathe in and out. I can't no, and no air can get in and out anymore. And then I'm starting to fall weak. And then I started thinking and while I'm doing this in this process and I'm getting weaker and weaker, I'm looking at him and I'm looking at him in his eyes and he's looking at me. And I'm like, he's trying to kill me. And he's looking in my eyes. His eyes were fixated on mine. He wouldn't look nowhere else like he was looking for something in my eyes. And I was, I said, he's finna kill me. And he kept his eyes on mine. And um, and I all I thought was that, you know, my children, I'm gonna die this way. My children. And um, so that man must have heard me fighting for my life. And so all of a sudden, we you hear the sound. Doom, doom, the cane, doom, doom. And he opened up the door. God touched that man's heart. He heard me struggling down there. 
I don't know if he didn't brought, I was the only woman that I don't, he didn't brought down there or what have you. I don't know. But somehow that man knew I was struggling for my life down there. And he opened that door and he said his name, but I was in shock. You know, I didn't hear his name, but I heard. He said, he like, what, what you doing to that girl down there? But I didn't catch the name. But I heard, what are you doing to that girl down there? And he, when he looked up, he eased up off my neck. And then, because we, I thought he was coming down there. He thought he was coming down there, apparently, because he eased up on my neck and looked up. And with everything I had, I lifted up my leg, and I kneed him, and I took both of my hands, and I pulled him down, down the steps, ran past the old man and the old lady, and started running, crying, oh, my God, oh, my God, run, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, run, 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 run. Um, wow. I run to my sister's house. And I said, somebody tried to kill me. They hadn't left yet. Because they, luckily, you know, I was glad they was going to pay bills. That's why I went ahead of them. But they hadn't left yet. And I said, and she, oh, I was bam on the door. And I, my sister came down the steps. And she said, what's wrong with you? What's wrong? I'm crying and stuff. And I go upstairs and I said, somebody just tried to kill me. And she said, you want me to call the police? And then my mind said, they're going to ask you, what was you doing out there? I had no business out there. I'm blaming myself now. I'm like, I had no business out there. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that. They're going to be saying this. They're going to be saying this. They're going to question this. They're going to question this. And what you doing out there? So it was so many questions. So I told her no. Okay. So it was, uh, I stayed sober for a while. And then I started back getting high. Then I had met this guy, which he was an enabler, and I ended up moving in with him. And then they had stole some chicks or something. Mm -hmm. And everybody had a turn. Mm -hmm. And they, he, they had a, uh, some kind of deal going on with the girl at the check cashing place. She was helping cash some checks out, and she got caught. So they was waiting for her. I was the last one because I didn't agree with it. I didn't want to do it. So I let everybody go. Finally, it's my turn. They said, Nisi, it's your turn. Everybody in the did is you just smoked with us and you just smoked it up. And it was my turn. She was waiting on me. Because when I went in there, it was like she was waiting on me and I changed my mind. But I turned, uh, I went in the check casting place and then I'm bringing this up to say it was a blessing. It really was because. I turned around and I'm like, I changed my mind. I'm not going to do this because I was real scary. I'm not doing this. So when I tell you I turned around, it was 20 cars out there. They was waiting on me. Somebody had to take the downfall. That's why I say it was a setup because the girl must have got caught at her job for cashing the checks because she was getting her cut. And then they knew somebody was coming in there to cash another one. So, but they end up, I, they end up, um, Lauren, my charge, because I said I you know, was on drugs and stuff like that and stuff. I went to jail for two weeks and I got out and I went on probation for two years. And while I say it's a blessing, you know, I had he heard all the stories of, you know, your parole officer being mean and real strict. And I met uh, her. Her name, was, I believe, was Heather. 
she was a Caucasian lady, a young uh, Caucasian lady. And she and she worked with me. And I, I told I said, I really want to get sober. And she went above and beyond. She didn't have to do that. She said, Denise, if you show me you want to get sober, I'm going to you take one step. I'm going to take two steps for you. And she did. When I showed her and I said, I have nowhere to go. Won't nobody trust me. Won't nobody let me stay with them. I have to go back to a using environment. And um, she said, if you show me that you can stay sober till I get you this bed, I'm going to do everything I can for you. And I did it. Every time he brought women in or they were smoking, I run in the room with my Bible and pray. I made it. She called me. No, she came to the door. She said, as she said, I got you a bed. And then she tested me. I was clean and I did it. I was so proud of myself. And she got me in the Horizon House. And it was a blessing because I don't know if I would have quit or I believe that had I stayed in that area, he was looking for me because I got away from him. I believe he was, he was looking for me. He was going to keep finish his job. Yep. So that's why I say that was a blessing that I got caught in that in mix and got on that probation and found, and Heather and everything. It just all took place like it's supposed to have because I believe it, that saved my life because I, I know he was looking for me to finish that job. He figured I'm on drugs. I catch her again. And he probably would have, yeah, you know what I'm absolutely. I, I say that to say this, when I warned Deborah Harris, it was somebody out there killing people. He got her anyway. She yeah. figured it wasn't him working that end because she was on Walnut. Titania Walnut, and I told her he got me on Burla, I mean, you know, before Locust and Titania, and she figured he wasn't working all the way down that way, but he did. He ended up killing her anyway. That's why I say I know that I would have probably been around the area and he probably would have got me. Had I not got arrested and changed my life around and went to this treatment center, but while I was in this treatment center, now I'm thinking clearly. Now yeah. I'm thinking clearly. Okay, so I couldn't sleep. I'm tossing and turning at night. It was like the girls was talking to me. Denise, you know who was killing us. You know who was killing us. But, okay, one story I skipped. I did start going to my sister's house on and off. I just didn't go in that area. And I started seeing the women disappearing. But I don't know. I think when, when I'm sober, I say, wow. Okay. I don't see her. You know, we had street names, so we didn't, sure. yeah, you know, okay. Where'd she go? You know, I mean, we, you know, these was years, you know, this was our stumping ground and they was coming up missing. I'm like, I know where she go. You know what I'm saying? They were coming up missing and I just wasn't focused on that. But when I got sober and in the treatment said, I said, wait a minute. He must have got a hold of them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then I found out Deborah Harris had uh, died. And, um, and the police was looking for Willie G, which is, was one of my old tricks. She moved in with him after I left and sobered up. I didn't want to have nothing to do with my past. Sure. 
And um, she, me and her really became, she said, it's cool. You can come over here and get high, you know, and spend a night if you don't have nowhere to go. You know, me, uh, you know, we're cool, you know. So I was, a, she let me come over there sometimes sleep and stuff. You know, that was my old trick. She didn't care. And that's how me and her end up getting close. And I told her one day we was getting high, I said, is somebody out here trying to kill us, girl? She said, what? And I explained that to her and he ended up getting her anyway. But the police was looking for Willie G and I told him, I said, he didn't um, kill her. Uh, that serial killer killed her. And they didn't pay me no attention. But they uh, found his semen in her. But anyway, um, getting back to the treatment center, um, one day, from embarrassment, I didn't want to bring it to the group and the you know we had two counselors. One of them said, "If there's anything that y'all want to talk about, and we we you know we can do it in a one on one that you don't want to talk about in a group." And so I said, "Me." This concludes part one of our two part episode with Denise Winters. Can't wait for part two. Please subscribe to the Survivor Squad Patreon to receive exclusive early access to all episodes. On that note, survivors, I'm Taryn Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad Podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.